And welcome, everyone, to another one of our Wednesday programs with Dr. Kelly Victory. Today, our guest is Edward Dowd. Ed has um, noticed a signal, and he is a numbers guy. He is from Wall Street as an analyst where he used to manage a large, uh, large cap, large, large cap fund for BlackRock portfolio managers. And uh, he is someone who looks at numbers, and he's going to tell us a story on what he has seen and what he thinks he's looking at and uh, what we should be concerned about. Of course, Dr. Kelly Victory is here. She's a board-certified ER doctor with some, uh, mass, with some public health training as well. She also was a psychologist before becoming a physician. And uh, I'm really interested in today's show. I, I am worried about these numbers. I've been watching them kind of with a great deal of concern. It means something. We'll try to figure out what that something is. Let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble. You can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And as always, I'll be watching you all on Restream and trying to keep up with your comments there. And you guys are all very active today. I see you there. And of course, as always, we have our uh, lively group at the Rumble Rants. And uh, Susan tries to monitor that as well. And uh, Jay Hep is already in there saying that BlackRock bought his favorite fragrance company. Uh, I guess that's Creed and not International Flavor and Fragrances. Sounds like more IFF would be their thing. But we'll talk to him. We won't talk How about do you stocks know today. All this? How do you know that? What? All about Creed and IFF. Uh, and I, I know about IFF because that's a large cap, old standby company. It's uh, called International, International Flavors and Fragrances. So but, that's how you learn from the stocks. But the Creed thing is something Jahep put in here. He said he put it in parentheses. And so I think he is saying hey, that Jeff. was his. Yeah, Jahep Jahan. Jahan. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Susan, everything good with you? Great. All right. Excellent. Uh, we She spent... Uh, a lot of the day out and about so i did yeah you feel good i got my nails done all right we're gonna meet up with ami horowitz tonight and we have lauren savan on friday we got lots of people lined up to uh, spend time with us we're looking forward to all of that but today i'm looking forward to this conversation uh i want to just start out with a brief disclaimer just to remind you that the cdc states that covid vaccines are safe effective and do reduce the risk of severe illness I'm a board-certified physician. Dr. Kelly is a board-certified ER specialist. We agree and disagree on many topics, and parts of this show will examine countervailing views on important medical issues. Always consult your physicians before your physician before making any decisions about your health. Again, we do not practice medicine here. We are looking at information. We're trying to have robust dialogue to get us as close to understanding something like the truth as we possibly can. And there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. Uh, Ed, as I said, is a former Wall Street analyst. He worked with BlackRock as a portfolio manager. In 2021, Ed noticed a rise in reports about sudden death amongst athletes and young people across the country, actually across the world. He put together evidence from the insurance industry, funeral homes, and government databases and uh, found something kind of interesting. A uh, reminder, everybody, we are uh, that click you're hearing there was us over at Twitter Spaces. I don't know that we're going to have a chance to get to calls today. 
Uh, as usual, we'll be back doing calls, I believe, on Tuesday. Tomorrow. Uh, we have yeah. Dr. Mark McDonald in here. Oh, tomorrow. we do. Okay. Uh, we have Mark McDonald, but I do suspect we'll be able to take calls and we are going to be talking Not about Tuesday. We're going to be flying on Tuesday. So it's all the way back to next Wednesday. So get over on, if you want to listen, you can listen there, but we're not. Well, gonna... I may get some questions. We'll see. But Maybe I, at the very end. I can't okay. make any promise about questions to, about people coming up. We and had two questions. full days of questions. So. That's why we did that. We'll was... store them up for next Thursday. But tomorrow is going to be a sort of a mental health day. We're going to be talking about mental health issues at, as a result of the pandemic. And Mark McDonald has a lot of um, ideas about this, and I just want to pick his brain about it. And we will, I, I think him, him responding to calls would be kind of interesting, so we might have a chance to do that tomorrow. We might even have a chance today. We'll see. So let me welcome to you all, before we bring Dr. Vicky, Victory in, I want to welcome Edward Dowd. Edward, welcome to this program. Thank you so much for having me on, right. Dr. Drew. Great to be here. Pleasure. So tell us your background so we can understand what it is, what skill set you have that, that helped you uh, put this, this data together, and then tell us what you saw. Sure, no problem. I uh, spent a large portion of my first part of my career at HSBC, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, in capital markets, fixed income, learned how the global macro economy worked. Uh, went back to business school, uh, graduated from there, worked on Wall Street at Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genret, which is an investment bank back in the day. Did equity research for electric utilities. Then I went up to Boston from New York to become a portfolio manager at BlackRock. And uh, for 10 years, I managed a large cap growth portfolio, picking stocks, analyzing stocks. I had expertise in technology and energy. We had a team around me and a partner who also helped me manage the money. We grew the assets from $2 billion to $14 billion over 10 years. And so looking at data the way you have here as it pertains to this pandemic, uh, tell me about your your math and statistics background. Uh, yeah, I have a, a degree in finance and an MBA from Indiana University. I'm very familiar with statistics. I'm not a quant, but I know how to read statistics. And I have two PhD physicists in Portugal who are doing a lot of the data research for me. They're uh, partners in my hedge fund that we're trying to start up. So I, we I'm have, sorry, I want to make sure I heard you right. So, so yeah. You have a new hedge fund, and two of those guys are PhDs who live in a, in Europe, and they're helping you with the math. Uh, they're they're doing all the data crunching. I'm interpreting. Mm. Uh, I also had a uh, number one ranked II institutional investor, Wall Street insurance analyst, who came and helped me early on. I met these two gentlemen later, but he also helped me look at the data as well. He analyzed the CDC data, so I have a lot of people behind me. I have a team. It's not just me. Uh, a guy on the internet. I have Wall Street professionals. I have PhD physicists who also worked on Wall Street at hedge funds. So this is this is a rigorous analysis. This isn't just me with a spreadsheet plunking numbers in. This is this is this is top notch research. Eventually, we're going to put a study of all the findings on uh, our uh, company website, and people will be able to review it, peer review it, whatever they want to do. Before you started digging into this material, I, I'm guessing you saw a signal or heard something or some, something caught your attention. What, what caused you to start looking at this stuff? So, you know, I'm a, a stock picker by trade and we look for pattern recognition, different uh, signals to get us interested in stocks before everybody else comes uh, and buys it before us. We want to be there early. Uh, in the early parts of 2021, I started hearing anecdotes, just anecdotes of uh, people being injured, getting strange things. I heard deaths uh, that, you know, nobody I knew in 2020 died from COVID. 
And then in 2021, people started dying. And so, and, and it was just strange stories, sudden athlete deaths on Twitter, collapsing on the field. And so my interest got peaked and I said to myself, I think I know what it is. And unfortunately, just having an idea about what it is doesn't mean anything. And sadly enough, I had to wait for more data to be collected as time rolled on. And that meant more more uh, injuries and, and potential deaths. So th that's the sad part of this is I didn't have what I needed to make my thesis and my case until earlier this year. And really right now, I think my thesis of the case is, is pretty certain at this point. And, and I'm guessing your first move was towards actuarial data. Is that, was that what you were thinking at the time? That's why the insurance industry folks? Uh, so I knew if this was a problem, it would eventually show up in different database, databases like insurance company earnings and funeral home earnings. And sure enough, in the, uh, in the fourth and first quarter, uh, fourth quarter of uh, 2021 and the first quarter of this year, we saw insurance companies take on big losses in what's called group life uh, business. And we saw funeral home companies beating and raising and having great business. And they were surprised. I thought that uh, uh -oh, uh, there we go. they were going to see. They thought they thought they were. And, okay, Caleb. Um, think. Hang, hang a second, Ed. So, something froze up here. Was that yeah. just at my end? Was I just seeing that, Caleb, or did it, yeah, did Ed's he, end freeze? Yeah, every uh, he's here. He's here. It's it's so strange. Every time we talk about these topics, we get these random tech issues that just come in. Because it froze everyone. Same so thing happened when I was injury. on Tim Pool's show. Strangely yep. enough, same thing, Strangely Caleb. Enough. I wonder, wonder yep. what that is. It's but, so strange. Uh, but I go ahead. I, I, I missed what you said there uh, about you, you talked about the insurance and the funeral homes, and then, then we sort of lost you. Yeah. So it, I thought to myself, if I'm right, we're going to start seeing this in insurance company results and funeral home results. We'd see the exact opposite. We'd see losses at insurance companies from claims. Uh, above what they were expecting. And we would see uh, funeral home companies seeing, uh, you know, funerals above what they were expecting. And we did see that. The insurance companies took on tremendous group life losses in their book of business. Now, the reason why I focus on group life is because it's, it's an accounting uh, issue. Individual policies are done under an arcane actuarial accounting, which the losses and gains are recognized and smoothed over years. In group life, they price the business every one to three years. So the losses would show up much more quickly. So that's what we focused on. And I, before I go any further, I want to describe what group life is. Group life is a policy you get when you onboard to a usually larger company, corporate America, and uh, mid-sized companies that offer it. This is not something you get when you're working for a small business. Uh, many times in my career, I would... Uh, uh, switch jobs. And the first thing you do is you go to HR, you sign your healthcare form, you pick your healthcare plan, and then you sign uh, your group life policy uh, death benefit and you um, name a uh, beneficiary. That's either your parents if you're single or a friend or your uh, uh, husband or, uh, or wife, depending upon uh, the gender. So you, you, you just, this is something that we all did. We kind of laughed about it because we're young and we wouldn't think we'd ever, uh, collect on it. And in fact, it's a great business for the insurance industry because they bank on the fact you'll never, they'll, that you'll never collect on it. It's a good business because it's a lower risk group than the general population. And I'll talk about that in a minute. 
All right. Uh, so keep, keep going. So you saw this inverse phenomenon developing. What, what did you think you were seeing? And I, I know you're very interested in the sudden adult death syndrome. Is that the predominant diagnosis that is resulting in this data? Or, or had you seen that straight, straight at the beginning? T tell the story there. Well, we just started seeing strange and sudden stories, not just sudden deaths, but just, you know, uncles dying, grandmothers dying, lots of people dying in 2021, not so much in 2020, at least in my circles. This is anecdotes, and this is what got me interested. So we started seeing in the insurance data, um, in, the, in, in January 3rd of uh, 2022, uh, CEO Scott Davison kind of set the whole thing in motion when he said that in his book of business, he was seeing 40% excess mortality, especially among younger aged working folks, which is something that we shouldn't be seeing in year two of a pandemic with, um, you know, vaccines. So that, that, that in and of itself is just anomalous. And the only thing that I suspect to change with mandates and vaccines. And uh, as time rolled on, uh, I started gathering my team. And in March, we analyzed the CDC data, just straight CDC data. And we found a couple of strange things. Um, the CDC on their website didn't break, down, break it down by age. They showed all ages. Uh, and it looked like, you know, the pandemic in year two was almost as bad as year one, but not quite. But when you broke it down by age, there was a strange and alarming signal. And particularly in the 25 to 44 age cohort, the millennials, uh, that cohort um, experienced into the fall of 2021, an 84% rise in excess mortality. Um, and then it leveled off hmm. after the fall and came back down. So this, I'm known for this famous chart with CDC data breaking down that age group. No one's disputed it. No one said that we're wrong. No one's challenged us. It's just numbers. And it showed that age cohort showing a major accelerate, uh, acceleration into uh, August, September, October. And we call that rate of change. And, you know, I don't have the chart, but it, it was like this. And then it went like that. And that's a signal in Wall Street. You know, that's a temporal signal that something has changed. And something I suspect was the fact that, um, you got to remember, if you go back to 2021, uh, corporations were starting to mandate the vaccine well before Biden even, uh, at, at, you know, gave his executive order on September 9th. Uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley were already mandating vaccines in August, and they led the way on Wall Street, and they led the way in corporate America, quite frankly. So that's when it really started to hit, and then people had to choose between um, keeping their job or not. Could you could you tell the causes of death that were responsible for that second derivative change? In other words, w was it uh, or do you have access to that data? What, what makes what my brain immediately does is I go, oh, we saw a lot of suicide and opioid and alcohol deaths that went straight up in that age group. Also, were you able to parse that out? So uh, that the, the, the pushback is exactly what you just said, and I'll address that. So. People said, hey, hey, Ed, you know, hey, great, sure. But those are, you know, there's suicides, deaths of despair, opioid addiction, uh, fentanyl addiction, and uh, missed cancer screening treatments. Those are the three reasons. And fair enough, okay, if, 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 if the excess mortality had gone up to 20% and leveled off, that would have been fine. But 
my problem with it was the temporal rate of change into a three-month event that we all know occurred. And I, I find it very hard to believe that uh, everyone decided in a three-month time frame to excessively commit suicide, overdose on fentanyl, or miss cancer screening treatment. So there was a signal there. And more recently, I've discovered uh, some new data that literally almost explains all those things away. And I'd like to share that with you. I shared it on another show yesterday, and it's, it's, it's kind of eye-popping. Um, let's talk about the group life. Oh, hold on, you have a question? Well, I was just thinking what I probably want to do so we can get Kelly into this conversation right at this point so she can look at this new data as well. So what we'll do here is we'll take a, a quick break. And when we come back, Ed Dowd will stay with us and Dr. Kelly Victory will join and we will look at this new information. For a long time, I've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, Genucel, and the amazing results that both Susan and I have seen. I'm a big fan of Genucel's Silky Smooth XV. It's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves Genucel's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to Genucel's proprietary skincare technology. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. And right now, Genucel has bundled my favorite products and Susan's for you to try today for up to 60% off retail pricing. That's right. Save up to 60% on my favorite Genucel products today. Just go to genucel.com Drew to see what's in our bundles and receive an extra 10% off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout. That again is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, went, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here, 
The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. And Dr. Kelly Victory joins us. And uh, Kelly, you've heard the conversation so far. Let's get uh, Ed to tell us this new data. How about that? Before before you even go there, Ed, can I just let me just tee this up a little bit, um, Ed, Drew? There are in my mind because I've been reporting on a lot of this data from the very beginning as well. There are three sort of buckets, if you will, in my mind for where this information comes from. Number one, as you just talked about, there's the information from the life insurers. The information you just said showed a forty percent increase in all cause mortality in working age people, people 18 to 49 years old. That doesn't get at all into causes. What, you know, to answer Drew's question, you know, what caused these deaths? Then there's the second bucket, if you will, of information, which comes from the health insurers, actually, who can say we're seeing an increase in X, Y, or Z different diagnoses. Then the third piece of information, and I think the piece we want to talk in some detail with you about, is the third piece having to do with the disability information. And it's taking all three of those buckets together. Any one by itself can be explained away. The all-cause mortality, people can say, oh, that's because of COVID that wasn't diagnosed, and people who committed suicide, and substance abuse, and on and on. Otherwise, people have tried to explain away some of the health insurance data. Now you've got this third and really damning bucket of information on disability. And again, I would encourage people, when you take all three buckets together, it becomes truly impossible to explain it all away. And it's the power of that combined data that I think really is so compelling. So talk to us about that third bucket that we haven't mentioned, and then we'll see if we can bring them all together. Well, first, let me talk about the insurance bucket because there's something important that I discovered uh, last week. Uh, number one, it's group life. And generally speaking, I had the idea in my head, this is a healthier population. And that's from deductive reasoning, that sounds about right. So I called one of my uh, actuarial whistleblowers to find some reports. And while she was looking for a report, she did find one from 2016, uh, the Society of Actuaries released another report last Monday. And what they said is that in the first nine, well, first, let me set this up. Uh, the 2016 study that they did covering years 2010 to 2013 showed that the group life insured population, which is a subset of the U.S. population, experiences in any given year 30 to 40 percent the mortality rate of the general U.S. population. So. That's what we call a healthier population. The explanation for that is um, they tend to be um, uh, higher educated, higher earnings, and just healthier because they're they're employed. And to keep your group life, you have to stay employed. So that that's a self-selecting group. So uh, they're a healthier group. Roll into this report that came out from the Society of Actuaries last Monday. They said that in the first nine months of 2020. There, you know, COVID affected everybody, nobody escaped. So in, in 2020, the general US population's uh, excess mortality was above that 
of the Group Life uh, Insurance Group. Then in 2021, they report that that flipped, that ratio flipped. And what did we see? We saw 40% excess mortality uh, as reported by the Society of Actuaries. This is a survey of 80% of the revenues of the group life uh, industry. And we saw a 31.7% excess of mortality in the general US population. That's an eight point differential. So there's no doubt in my mind that something happened in 2021 using simple deductive reasoning, the only thing that happened that would cause working age people between 25 and 64 to suddenly see that kind of increase would be the one thing that changed, vaccines and mandates. Now, let me roll into the disability data, which confirms this insurance data. Uh, my uh, two PhD uh, partners uh, in my hedge fund did a study on disability in August. And we looked at it and it was pretty stunning. And then it kind of foots with what I just told you about the insurance industry. The general population, overall US population, ages 16 through 64, their disability rate rose in 2021 from an average of about 7.5% to 8%. So that's a 6.6% increase in disability. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. the, the statistical uh, deviation that we found looking at the disability data. Overall, the, the total absolute number was 29 to uh, 30 million for about the last five years. It's now encroaching upon 33 million. And if you look at the graph, it shows a definite change. And so they analyzed the, what's called the year-over-year -year rate or rate of change. And they came up with the fact that that, that was a three-standard deviation event, which on Wall Street, only occurs 0.03% uh, of the time. So something happened, it's a signal. If that was a stock, I would analyze that stock to figure out what's going on and probably buy some because something's happened, something changed. Um, let's, let's go back to, the, to the, the, the data. So you can break down this data by age group and a status. So there's the population, the whole US population. Then there's something called the civilian workforce, which is about 161 million people. Then there's something called the employed workforce, which is um, about 9,800 million people. When you looked at the uh, employed workforce, their disability rate was generally hovering around 3.1%, and it uh, rose to about 3.8%, uh, which is a 22% uh, increase in the rate of disability. So that is a, so the general population's rate of increase dis, in disability rate was 6.6. The employed population was 22.6%. Uh, so then we broke it down by men and women in the employed group. This is ages uh, 16 through 64. Um, and we saw that women had a uh, rate of increase of 32% increase in their disability rate and men a 19%. So whatever's going on seems to be affecting um, women disproportionately to men. And uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf uh, has reported that uh, from the Pfizer documents, the adverse events seem to affect women more. So there's, you know, two different databases confirming each other. Well, also, so again, yeah. Let me just make this is my conclusion. My conclusion is this. My conclusion is this. The employed population is generally a healthier population and COVID should not have affected them 
more adversely than the rest of the population in 2021. It didn't, this did not occur in 2020, so something changed. So it's my contention that through forced mandates and vaccinations, uh, the general, the employed population has been uh, injured and, and, and some deaths have occurred. While if you were not in an uh, employed, you had a choice, you just had a choice. I, I always try to Edward. sort of uh, anch anchor this stuff to my clinical experience. And we did see a lot more long COVID starting to accumulate in 21. And it long COVID did disproportionately affect women, particularly on the disability side. So it makes me wonder, is it that or, you know, that certainly wouldn't explain your other observations. But on that on the disability side, I, it makes me wonder. That's all. In all of this, are there are there? I would love to know the diagnoses that is that is contributing to these numbers. Do we have that? Well, uh, I no. don't think you have, and that's I'm what I was going to say. You, uh, we're looking at say you don't have we're it just, from the. Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say you, you don't uh, have it from the from the disability data or from the uh, all cause mortality data, but we do have it from the health insurance data. And specifically, Drew, if you look at the three uh, military physicians I was referencing, uh, the, who parsed the DMED data, the Defense Military Epidemiology Database, they very clearly put this increase in certain conditions, uh, namely things like pulmonary embolism, blood clot to the lung, heart attacks, strokes, female infertility, uh, Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, there are very clearly some diagnoses that had massive increases, and I'm talking three and 400% increases uh, compared to the annual average, five-year average um, in the years preceding the, the rollout of the vaccine. So I think we get some glimpse into it there. On the disability side, Ed, could you see, can you parse out what the disabilities were? Do you have access to that? No, the data I'm using is, is actually, for me, uh, really good. For your question, not so good. It's a, it's a the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's a real-time household survey that's done every month. It's part of the employment report, and what's great about it is it shows real-time self-volunteered indication that you yourself are unable to work or someone in your household can't work. What's great about that? It's not tied to a disability claim. It's not tied to a, a doctor's note. So there's a strong signal there. And that's what I like on Wall Street are signals. So the, the signal here is massive. So the question has to become what's going on. Now, you know, doc, to Dr. Drew's point, I, I don't disagree that questions uh, should be asked about my thesis. The problem is I'm not allowed to talk about my thesis except on uh, different, you know, echo chamber uh, uh, podcasts. So this is a thesis that needs to be nationally discussed. But the, pro the problem is we can't even broach the topic. No, Wait that's and we've we talked about that. Uh, uh, well, we've talked about that well, a lot in that the, the very first sign Ed, that something was awry uh, was exactly that. The fact that uh, I was being shut down and that you and others, anyone who dared to ask the question and, you know, the, the uh, robust debate has been a cornerstone of medicine, certainly, up until this pandemic. It's only been during this pandemic that you are vilified, marginalized, censored, 
uh, and canceled if you dare to ask any questions or to even pose you know, this date and say, hey, what's going on here? Uh, so what, what, by the way, got you kicked off of Twitter? I uh, cited some um, peer review study and, and discussed some CDC numbers that they didn't like because I broke it down by age. And that was the end of that. Ah, ah can't That's be crazy. You can't be showing data. Yeah, we can't be showing data that it, doesn't uh, support their thesis. I, I just want to mention I'm very excited to be on today's show because a lot of my friends watch Dr. Drew and I, I, I applaud Dr. Drew for having me on and you, Kelly. Because, you know, I consider you guys closer to the mainstream than what I've been doing, which is great and it reaches a lot of people. But what we need to reach the person who just isn't aware. And that's all. I just want to make awareness out there. Um, Dr. Drew, you know, one thing that I did notice, uh, we did notice in March through just raw CDC numbers, is that the mixed shift of ages groups shifted between 2020 and 2021. In 2020, it was predominantly older folks who died. And in uh, 2021, we had a mixed shift. So about 500,000 excessive deaths in 2020, 530,000 or so in, in 2021. And it shifted predominantly to the younger age groups. And just to give you one example, in 2020, 40,000 millennials died excessively. That's 25 to 44. In 2021, mm -hmm. 60,000 excessively died. So something happened. to it, and, and we all know that COVID did uh, affect predominantly in 2020, older folks with comorbidities, not the young so much, but something shifted in 2021. Interesting. Caleb, give us an opinion but, here on uh, Ed, yes. Ed sort of letting it rip a little bit on some of his numbers. He, he, he can go ahead. He's saying there's he can, things. That, he can go ahead and so say anything ahead. he wants. I might have to pop up that disclaimer on screen at some point, but that's no insult to you. That's just the rules of the platforms that we're on. And if I have to end up cutting and, and let the me show just at say, some point, it'll be on Rumble. Yeah. And our understanding is that the the early treatment was really the area that they were most concerned about. And analyzing vaccine data, they did not include in their in their concern. So we are going to proceed with that. So, Ed, whatever you were thinking you were going to have to self-edit, please uh, let it go. Let's, let's see what you got. Um, no, I'm just, the, the, the case, the, the, uh, the theory of the case as we roll through time gets worse and worse and the data collect, it, if this was a stock, and I had a thesis and I bought it at $10, the data coming in is to be an $80 stock by now. So the data is making me more and more confident. I, I'm at 100% certainty in my mind that my thesis is correct. And I'm willing to put my professional reputation on it, and I have. And that's what I did on Wall Street. I just, you know, I, I, I took a stand and as the data rolled in, I became more convicted or less convicted. And if, sometimes I was wrong. And if you're wrong on Wall Street, you sell the stock and you, you uh, declare defeat. There's nothing wrong with admitting you're wrong. And if I saw data that suggested that I was dead to rights wrong, I would, uh, I would say so. Let's talk a little bit, if we could, here about your new, you've got a book coming out that specifically looks at this increase, this massive increase in sudden death. Uh, I've been reporting on this for quite a while. I think you'd have to be blind to not have noticed that there is a significant increase in previously young, healthy Uber athletes, for example, dropping dead. And when I say dropping dead, we used to use that phrase drop dead, uh, it, not literally. All of the sudden, people are dropping dead. 
I mean, they are going from a standing position to collapsing mid, uh, you know, mid run down the field or falling over, you know, in the operating room or whatever. People are dropping dead. Talk a little bit about your book and what angle you're taking in the book and how you're you're handling this whole new made up diagnosis of sudden adult death syndrome, because that's what it is. It was not a syndrome uh, prior to uh, the last 12 months. Uh, talk a little bit about your book. Sure. Uh, so the, the premise of the book is to kind of just make people aware that something's going on that hasn't gone on before. And I want them to understand that growing up and before 2021, most of us don't remember hearing news stories of athletes in their prime, especially high school athletes, dropping dead on the field. We just did not hear that. That was not something that occurred a lot. Well, in the book, we're going to show story after story after story of that. These are, these are um, public uh, articles uh, at different newspapers, different uh, newspaper websites. We're going to have QR codes that can link you directly to them so you don't have to believe me and think that I'm just taking a snapshot of something. You're going to be able to go verify it for yourself. So I want people to understand that something changed in 2021. This was not a normal occurrence. And if I can get people to understand that, then I take them through the journey of a stock picker with the theory of a case, and I present the data. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but you know, at the very least, I want people to know that what's going on here is not normal, and we shouldn't normalize it, and we need to find, if it's not the vaccines, what is it? And no one seems to care. And that, as being the suspicious person that I am, the fact that they don't really care tells me I know what it is because it's the greatest cover-up I've ever seen in my life, but that's me. Well, yeah, one of the things I, I, uh, that was happening is that is that people were explaining it away, Ed, by saying these people were people who had contracted COVID, and it was in fact the the a side effect of COVID that they had cardiac damage or whatever. We now have a growing number of studies. Uh, that is dispelling that myth. We had this large study out of Thailand uh, that is a prospective study that actually did extensive cardiac workups in their entire population study population uh, of 13 to 18 year olds and proved that these kids had no evidence of cardiac abnormalities. And then lo and behold, 29.4% of them, nearly 30%, developed cardiac abnormalities following vaccination. So we've proven that those were not kids who had some, they had had COVID and had some underlying cardiac issue. Uh, so I think, again, I keep saying, it's not one bucket of information. It's not one piece that's going to get us there. It's by combining this tsunami of data that we have from the life insurance companies, disability companies, health insurance companies, um, you know, rising death numbers, sudden deaths in, in young, healthy athletes, all of that taken together, um, I think is really what makes this picture. In terms of the, the stories in your book, are these ones that you, you just called the, um, you said the public data, or have you been soliciting people's stories as well? No. This is just, these are just news stories and there's lots of them. So this is, and again, we're gonna, we're gonna show anecdotally some Google, through Google searches and, 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 and FIFA stats that this did not occur. You know, soccer, soccer sudden deaths in, you know, in the soccer league did not happen until suddenly in, in 2021. So we have anecdotes. So the idea is to bring the person into the book through anecdotes, personalize it, show that this isn't normal, 
then walk them through the theory of the case and the and the hard cold data and how I got into this journey and why I'm here now, why I think I'm qualified to talk about this because of my skill set. Guys, I, I have a couple of questions here I want to get to. So so one fear I have is that this is some sort of observer bias, right? So do you have data of sudden death, athlete sudden death syndrome, which Kelly, you and I know that occurs from hypertrophic cardiomyopathies, cardiac arrhythmias, uh, RNTs, you know, get hit in the chest, you know, this kind of stuff. Things happen. I, we actually had one in my kids' soccer league when somebody, kid just got a soccer ball to the chest and was dead and was had a peppy anesthesiologist on hand that was able to resuscitate him, thank God. But um, I, do we have, my first question is, I have, so I have two questions. My first is, do we have the incidence of athlete sudden death, which again, we, you're right, Kelly, we, we've now made up a name for because presumably it's more common, that's why we've made the name up. But, and, and do we have data now versus say three years ago? The, the the data is 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 not going to be as good as my metadata. It's going to be that's why I call it the, the anecdotal data, and that you have to kind of through discernment understand that something's changed, but it's not hard cold data because it's hard to collate. And you and, and you know and there's there's um you know being a doctor, you guys know that how you categorize what's a sudden death and how far away from the field did they die. So we didn't want to get into that because that, that, that's kind of a rabbit hole. But uh, we wanted to show that something had changed. We all know something has changed. Here's some data that might suggest that something has changed. Now, my theory is it's vaccines. Other people might come up with something else. But the fact that we're not talking about what's currently going on today in September is a 20% excess death rate across the country and in Europe. 20%. Crazy. When it should be the going down. Thing. That's what's so crazy. Should, we should it, have had a, a, a dip after a pandemic. Yeah. Which is really super crazy. And why that's not a headline, I don't know. But just, just that. I mean, that is, that, sort of, you, that is simply the fact that there are excess deaths in, in the Western world when there should be a dip period. Somebody needs to explain that. I'm hoping somebody does. But one last question, Kelly, then you'll get to jump back in. You keep, you keep Edward, uh, talking about your thesis, but you, I'm not sure I've actually heard the, the, the actual thesis. Like, can you, can you state it in a couple of sentences, or is that something you're holding closer to your chest to get the actual formal thesis out? Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll state it plainly, that the, the vaccine is causing the vaccine is neither safe nor effective. It's causing uh, uh, more deaths than a normal vaccine would at a rate we've never seen before, and disability. That's my thesis, and my my evidence for that thesis is the fact that the working age population, especially the subgroup of insured, group life insured, and employed people, have excess mortality at a higher rate than the general U.S. population. To me, then verifies there were there was an event that event was mandates this would be hard my case dr drew would be harder to prove if there were no mandates the mandates mm -hmm. actually make my case very easy to prove if this was i would not have as 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 much conviction as i do except the fact that they mandated this thing and it's showing up in the data Mm -hmm. Well, your thesis, this thesis, yeah, this thesis is well corroborated now by relatively recent studies uh, because of some very aggressive FOIA uh, requests. We now have the data from both Moderna and Pfizer 
And if you look at when it comes to the incidence of adverse events related to the vaccines, um, looking at their own data that was available prior to the rollout of the vaccines, for every one hospitalization that was prevented, 4.3 serious adverse events occurred. And serious adverse events, to be clear, are defined as one that caused death, near-death, hospitalization, or permanent disability. They subsequently have parsed that data to look specifically at that risk-benefit uh, calculation for 18 to 29-year-olds because it really addresses the uh, ethics and rationale for the mandates um, at the you know, collegiate level, at the university level. When you look at 18 to 29 year olds, that same data shows that for every one hospitalization that would be prevented by the COVID vaccines, somewhere between 18 and 98 severe adverse events would happen. So the risk benefit calculation is a big fat fail um, when you look at these COVID vaccines. It simply doesn't make sense. So I think your thesis, Ed, have you seen? although you, you, yeah. you, you were you way seen? ahead of the curve, uh, Ed, but it's being yeah. proven out. I wonder if you've seen that study you're quoting. Have you seen the one Ed, that Kelly's talking about? Because it's come under some scrutiny uh, in terms of how they analyze their data. I'm just curious how you saw the, the data analysis. No, I, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it. But um, are, I'm sure maybe you're not, but hopefully you're both aware that Pfizer failed its uh, all-cause mortality endpoint uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the initial trial. And that came out in a FOIA request around October, November. And the important thing to know about that is the FDA, pre-COVID, would not approve a drug like that. That was considered the gold standard. I've talked to all my healthcare friends who are analysts right. on Wall Street, and they were shocked when they found that out. And they didn't know that until October, November. So based on that alone, this thing never should have, should have been approved. But, but I, think, I think that's where things are getting weird. I think what gets weird is we don't know really what, they're, what they have decided without telling the public what they were willing to tolerate to get us out of this pandemic. I, I have a sneaking suspicion they were willing to tolerate a lot more problems than maybe they'll ever admit because they certainly behave right. like that. If you look, Absolutely. if you look at it, the uh, at, at the swine flu vaccine that was rolled out in 1976, uh, the swine flu vaccine was pulled after there were 25 presumed associated yeah. deaths. It was pulled from the market. That's the standard when we get to 25 severe adverse events that may be related. Um, it is pulled from the market. Yet with these. You know, we had severe adverse events in the tens of thousands within a matter of weeks uh, reported to VAERS. Uh, and yet, despite the fact that that is the system put in place by the CDC, specifically as an early warning sign, as the proverbial canary in the coal mine, that data was full out ignored. Uh, they simply, you know, explained it away. And all of a sudden, after 23 years, uh, the VAERS system was no longer uh, good to be used as an early warning sign. It's inexplicable. I agree. It was um, Operation Warp Speed, a lot of institutional momentum. Uh, you know, we're starting to find out now that the FDA, 75% of their drug unit budget is from user fees from large cap pharma. And then I, I found out today that 70% of uh, all of 2020's advertising budgets for the media, TV, was uh, large, uh, was pharma, big pharma. So 
there was a lot of things and momentum behind this. Are well, you I think aware we're going to be unraveling. I say, are you aware that um, there's data um, out there with regard to significant inconsistencies in the number of adverse events related to certain batches of the vaccine? In fact, there's actually a website, How Bad Was My Batch, where you can put in which vaccine you took and the lot number and see the associated adverse events and or deaths associated with that lot. It's something like um, 80% of the severe adverse events are associated with less than 20% of the actual vaccine lots. Is that information that you've looked into at all or even come across? Uh, I did not go into the, the batch data primarily because I just wanted to look at metadata. But, um, you know, uh, there, there's all sorts of anomalies going on here. And um, uh, my biggest complaint is that we were not, as the public uh, told, how this process was going to go about. And Dr. Drew hit on something that is magical. There was a tolerance level and a belief that this COVID was more deadly than it was. So there's a mismatch somewhere along the line of what they were going to tolerate publicly uh, versus what the actual virus ended up doing to people. Right. No, and, that, and that's I, I, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that they were persuaded by they they were under the the sway. Oh my goodness! Your your um, your gardener either has a leaf blower or a weed whacker, and he's coming. And he's he's going right under your couch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, but let me just let me just say that. No, 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 don't. It's fine. We we can deal with it. But but it just it's it seemed to me I guess as we you know we're, Kelly and I have been talking to a lot of people that have come across email exchanges and were the object of a lot of uh, silencing and whatnot and the, and the kinds of things that were going on at the time were that the the public health authorities believed their Chinese counterparts believed a false hope in a zero respiratory virus called COVID uh, bought into these draconian measures that beg no alternative. And it really was just a fool's errand from the start. And they just dug themselves in deeper and deeper and deeper. And the, the, the vaccine, you know, it was safety uberalis and vaccine uberalis. These were their two policies. And if you were in a vaccine uberalis policy, you know, vaccine is the one and only solution to all else that is occurring. You're going to accept a lot of things you might not otherwise accept. And I, I hope, uh, wasn't it the former uh, NIH director who said that I, you know, I should have been more open about this. I should have been clear that we were kind of guessing. And is, is that who that was, Kelly? Do you remember this? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm oh, just oh, looking up who the most yeah, recent. Was, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, it was it was Rochelle Walensky who said, you know, we we were guessing. We really knew that the vaccine wouldn't be as effective as we said. And you know, she kind of told all in her book. Um, but I agree with you. I think truly uh, the biggest mistake, if I had to uh, say, pick the biggest mistake of this entire pandemic debacle, and that's a long list from which to choose, uh, it would be that they acted as if we were all at equivalent risk from the virus when they knew from the very, very beginning, it was very clear that this was a virus that predominantly targeted but the Kelly, elderly and the infirm. Kelly, 
thing, and we knew- look, look what they almost look what they almost did to monkeypox. You saw that same kind of approach coming on again, oh, and that's because oh, yeah. we have trained a generation of public health officials with the notion that equity uberalis is the only prism through which you should analyze healthcare, and not just equity of resources, equity of outcome. That is a that's a another fool's errand when it comes to a complex medical situation like we've been through. No question. They did it with HIV and Anthony Fauci was at the helm of that uh, that mismanaged um, outbreak as well, acting as if everyone is at equivalent risk when they know better. Uh, children, we've known from the beginning of this pandemic or such a de minimis risk of a bad outcome from COVID as to be indistinguishable from zero. The idea of ever ever mandating anything for kids or lockdowns or shutting schools. It was never justified. And all of this, by the way, for what it's worth, Ed, I am not anti-vaccine. I am extraordinarily pro-vaccine in general. I've been considered a vaccine zealot uh, in the past. Uh, But these vaccines never made sense other than perhaps in the first few weeks, if you had told me that for a, you know, a 90 year old in a nursing home who is infirm that, you Mm -hmm. know, because their risk of a severe outcome was so high uh, that I might have said, okay, it makes sense to give them this untested vaccine. But for the vast, vast majority of people, and after the first couple of months, uh, the risk benefit calculation is a big fat fail. Well, certainly in a in a uh, younger group, I, I still think it comes down in the favor of vaccine in the advanced age. But we can those are that's picking nits at this point. Go ahead, Ed. So uh, last week it came out that Denmark uh, suspended the vaccine program for yeah. under fifty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, we saw some data that showed that uh, excess mortality in almost every or- age group went up in uh, twenty. 21 over versus uh, 2022 versus the the, the death rate. Uh, no, pre-vaccine and post-vaccine, the excess mortality is higher. And the the the, the Danish health authorities are seeing this. They know. They know. Mm-hmm. And the UK in the UK has now come out Ed and and said that they do not recommend vaccines be given to women of childbearing age unless the physician can prove, document that the woman is not pregnant, lactating, or planning on getting pregnant. Yet here in the United States, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is still saying the vaccines are, are you know, safe and effective and strongly recommended uh, even for pregnant women. It's unconscionable. Uh, it's absolutely unjustifiable. Uh, we also, analyze the UK ONS data, and this is going in my book. Interestingly enough, it showed excess mortality going up for all uh, ages except one through 14 uh, were going down. Excess mortality was going down because COVID didn't affect that age group. And also lockdowns um, tended to uh, make excess mortality go down. Why? Because accidental death is the biggest cause of excess mortality in one through 14. So the excess death rate kept going down through uh, 2020 and 2021 until the vaccination program for that age group hit in the UK and then it started rising. And that's another devastating hmm. piece of evidence. And that's why that's why the UK dropped it. Although yeah, just, it- again, just, I was just trying always to find some wrinkle in this. At the same time, the vaccine's getting rolled out, one to 14 is starting to move around again. Maybe accidents went back up again, but, we, but that data should be out there. Should be able to get that data. 
Well, the lock we, we in my book I talk about when lockdowns end and when and when they're out there and the, the death rate keeps going down until the vaccines introduced and then the slope of it and the excess deaths start to rise. Still negative, still below normal, but going back towards zero from negative. G give us your what what is your theory what happened? I mean, if you had if you're just sort of guessing based on the data you've seen and the way our public health officials were behaving, can, can you I I have been because of talking to people like Ed and McCall, these guys, we've, Kelly and I have been talking to and talking to Kelly. I, I'm piecing together a story about what happened. Uh, and it's not it's not very appealing. <laughs> the story is not very appealing, but we're, we're sort of, you know, Kelly and I have been sort of refining it and reiterating it and sort of coming up with, you know, things, you know, just ex simple examples of things we've uncovered that, you know, Dr. Paul Alexander was at the table when they came up with the idea of the six feet social distancing, both terms made up, six feet made up, all these things made up. What was going on? What do you think was going on that led to the situation we're in? Well, I, I have a grand thesis, but let me just, for your audience, talk about old-fashioned greed, corruption, and and power. And when this hit, and Operation Warp Speed came into being, and the amount of money that was going to be thrown at this, it was easy to see that all sorts of people stood to benefit. I call it conspiracy of interests. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry was, uh, Pfizer stood to make I analyzed this. They did 40 billion pre-pandemic. In vaccine year 2021, they did 81 billion. They doubled their revenues. Had th this been um, turned into a quarterly booster program, which is what they were talking about at one point, if you remember, that, and they mm -hmm. got 50% of the world market share, that was 300 billion. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. a lot of money. And politicians like money. Advertisers like money. Tech companies saw an opportunity to make money off of the ancillary services of surveillance. So this conspiracy of interests, to me, I call it the meta fraud. They all kind of got on board, saw a way to make money, and anybody who tried to buck the narrative uh, was. And because of the new technology and the platforms that we have, people are shut down if they try to, you know, warn anybody about it. And so is it is it just old-fashioned greed that is the primary driving force behind this? I, I, I think it's something much more uh, complicated, frankly. I, I think it's these people wow. and their, 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 their hubristic uh, you know, sense of self-righteousness and their reputations and their authority and the, the authority of being challenged and all this stuff. What do you say? Well, the, the grand metathesis I have, which I can't prove, is that um, COVID was a convenient excuse to cover up. I'm also known, Dr. Drew, for talking about uh, global debt defaults and uh, the, uh, a, a new uh, um, currency reset coming. And basically, in 2019, the global economy was rolling over. Uh, there was uh, something going on on Wall Street. And then COVID hit, and the Fed, Federal Reserve had an excuse to print 65% more money supply and save you know, the financial system from collapsing. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a financial collapse, the central bankers and the politicians who have been basically uh, borrowing money for the last 12 years since the, the great financial crisis can't be blamed. So why wouldn't it be easier to blame it on the convenient excuse of COVID? And oh, by the way, introduce a system of control that could prevent riots. You could turn on a COVID scare and shut down a riot in a heartbeat. So that's my grandmaster thesis, harder to prove, but you know, 
I can prove right now, greed, corruption, and uh, power. And I think I have Kelly? to say, you know, I think that the well, I think there's no question that that money plays a huge role. I don't think it's um, hey, it certainly isn't the entire explanation. Uh, it is otherwise. I mean, money money's always been out there as a driver. But when you watch the intoxication uh, that everybody from the federal government to governors to uh, the teachers unions, uh, the, the intoxication with power and their ability to control things, to use this excuse of this pandemic to do everything from drive social justice uh, narratives to uh, climate change narratives, uh, they, as you said, it is you know, I predicted very, very early on uh, that this would end up causing us to go to all mail and ballots because, of course, it'll be too dangerous for people to go to uh, the polls and on and on and on. This is far more, you know, reaches far further in my mind than just greed uh, and avarice. I, well, think, it, I think money it, it, is, it is part of the explanation. Yeah. It, yeah the thing I that also think the me, mRNA, uh, by the way, they, let me say, Throw in there too, Drew, because yeah. the, the I yeah. think the overwhelming desire of some of the powers that be uh, on the global level to have a common vaccine platform cannot be overlooked. I think there is certainly Bill Gates has long had um, interest in developing a common mRNA vaccine platform. And I think that the, this was, they saw this as a way to make mRNA a household term, something that was accepted, something that people, all of a sudden, people who wouldn't think, you know, would never consider eating a genetically modified tomato, all of a sudden were perfectly happy to roll up their sleeve and get two, three, four mRNA vaccines that hadn't been tested. And I think you cannot uh, overstate that piece of it. Back to your uh, Kelly, your your thesis about there being sort of a an enthusiasm for the direction this all took us. I do remember, early, you know, maybe six months into the pandemic, just really, again, whenever I found myself shaking my head, those are the things I'm you and I are seeking to try to find answers to now. And one of the things I shook my head at was the glee, the enthusiasm with which, say, my governor shut down the entire state. Just enthusiasm. He couldn't wait to do it. I, I, I thought of being in that position, and I had two reactions. One was, well, maybe he's preparing for the worst and he's in a tough position. But the other is, oh, my God, how uncomfortable that would be to, to, to do that to people. And he seemed to just love it and keep it going and still hasn't undone the emergency um, uh, decree that we are under. And then our health officials in my own city and county, if you dared, dared to push back on them, they would come in with the force of God and really like one. We, there was one famous story of a in like in Glendale or something of a of a of a of a hamburger store that kept kept serving hamburgers on on picnic benches outside. They came in and they essentially soldered you know wire you know uh, essentially was fencing around the guy's business. And this was a family business that had around for 50 years, closed for good. And he was just trying to survive, just trying to pay his employees. And they were serving hamburgers out of doors where the virus does not transmit. And But you dared to push back on their mandate and you were, you were met with this incredible force. 
Now, by the same token, Susan and I would go to Dana Point because the sheriff there wouldn't enforce anything and you could eat at restaurants and you could walk around, you know, normally in those environments. But but in L.A. County and in the state generally, the glee and enthusiasm with which that that sword, that powerful, that the, whatever the crucible was they were wielding was thrown about was was just astonishing to me. So I'd, I'd like to hear more one day about what was going on in those back rooms as well. I mean, did they have any misgivings about it? Or this was just, as you said, Kelly, an opportunity to bring on a whole wave of other things that they're enthusiastic about. Well, you know, you know my thoughts, and I, I believe that that was a huge driver. You're right. The glee that people had in dumping sand in skateboard parks, and you know, arresting people, you know, who were daring to do things like you know, surf. Um, you know, it, it it really goes way beyond money. Um, I'd be interested, you know, Ed, you undoubtedly know the, the number of billionaires who were made out of this um, this pandemic. It's not just the vaccine manufacturers. Uh, we made a lot of billionaires in China, for example, because almost everything came from China. All of the PPE, you know, where do you think the gloves and the syringes and the needles and the plexiglass came from? Almost all of it was coming from overseas. It wasn't coming from U.S. manufacturing plants. Uh, so if you look at the number of billionaires who were made in years, you know, 2020, 2021, um, a huge percentage of them are actually overseas and specifically in China. You know, one of the things that really disturbed me early on in the lockdowns and the pandemic in 2020 was this notion of essential businesses and the shuntering mm. of mostly small businesses and the big mm -hmm. box stores were able to stay open and take mm. tremendous amount of share. That's why the stock market recovered and went to new highs into the end of 2021, primarily because this was the most egregious shift of wealth and power to so few I've ever seen in my life. Many small businesses closed forever. And the, you know, I kept saying to myself, why is Costco safer than a store with two people on it. I'm going to Costco. Yeah. And there's hundreds of people there. It made no sense to me. Mm. Mm. Do, well, how was that able to happen? Is that just cronyism? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, there might be a good case for a RICO act if someone did some investigating of uh, of emails and and whatnot. But you know, this smells of RICO. You know, racketeering to shut down small business and grab power. I mean, it smelled like that to me. I talked about it on Twitter before I was banned. Uh, I got some pushback, but you know I'm just a guy that analyzes patterns, and it made it made no sense to me. These big box stores with more people who could get infected were more uh, essential than the small little grocery store where you know four people show up. Kelly, maybe you get our friend Harmeet Dillon to kind of look at things through that prism. It's, yeah, uh, she, she's fishing yeah. around right now, so it's very interesting. Oh my goodness! I again, you know, when Kelly, when you and I talk to some people, I get this. I get uh, what my grandmother called agita. <laughs> I get a horrible feeling every time, every time, and I and I sort of don't want to believe it because I have an optimistic, I have an optimism bias, uh, and it is definitely a bias. Uh, uh, let me be clear about it, and uh, and I also want to be very careful. I, as I as I've said several times in at least the latter part of this conversation that that one of the enemies in this whole mess was hubris and we don't want to be hubristic either in terms of our analysis of these things we want to be very circumspect very systematic very you know i, I think it's always important to qualify these things 
Um, though uh, I'm glad, Ed, you're looking at it. I've been worried about it for a while. I mean, you keep hearing about it. every time. Well, the, the news media seems to be pushing out young deaths because it certainly comes on my feed, probably because I click on them all to see what they died of, to see if this sudden adult death thing is, is as pervasive as, as I worry it is. So it, it I, again, I don't know if it's an observational bias or if I'm really seeing something. Based on your data, I think we are. Are you continuing to collect data in the in the more recent term? Uh, absolutely. I mean, what I just told you was data that we collected from Society of Actuary reports. So we're just scouring the planet for more data. My uh, two PhD physicists, the charts and graphs that we're putting in the book are up to date, up to the you know September um, August timeframe. So everything we're doing, we're just rolling along. And we're collecting. And, you know, honestly, Drew, I would love to see excess mortality start to trend back towards zero, but it's not. And that's the thing that has me the most concerned. Um, we should be trending back to normal, and we're not. And, uh, you know, you can, you can argue with me all day long, but at least we need to ask the question, and no one seems to be interested in it from a governmental agency standpoint. In fact, Biden said COVID's over. Yeah, that that was well, the, been if, the astonishing if I, thing to me. Yeah, well, if if I if my thesis is correct, Ed, I hate to say it, we will see a decrease in the sudden deaths. You will see a decrease in the incidence of those if people stop getting boosted, because those things seem to occur within a relatively short window following injection with these vaccines. Unfortunately, however, I think we are going to see a massive increase in onset of new cancers, autoimmune diseases, neurologic conditions, and other things that will take longer to rear their ugly heads, cancer in particular. Um, people forget that the, the first job of the immune system is not just to fight off bacteria and viruses, but it's also to identify and ward off that first uh, neoplastic change in a cell. When if you know your immune system is what sees that first cell and says, "Wow, that's an abnormal-looking colon cell. Let me just gobble that up. Uh, that's an abnormal-looking yeah. breast cell. Let me gobble that up." Uh, these the immunosuppressive effect of these vaccines and the data are irrefutable. We know that the immune system is is negatively affected by these vaccines. And therefore, I have predicted, and I think we will see uh, in the years to come, significant increases in deaths from these other things, rather than the sudden deaths, those collapses on the soccer field types of things, assuming that is, we stop these injections. And Kelly, I'd love us to check back in with Ed in maybe six weeks or so and see, get an update on data. Ed, are you available for that kind of thing where we can check back with you? Absolutely. Check back with me. I can tell you All one right. more piece of data. Um, it, at the end of Q2, the insurance companies were not thinking what I'm thinking. And many still don't, but there are more coming around in my point of view. They're predicting that we're going to see death rates and disability rates go back to normal in the, in the subsequent quarters and years. Okay, next couple of quarters into next year. Unfortunately, I have an insider who told me things aren't looking so good in, in Q3. On Q2, they thought this. In Q3, uh, excess deaths are still elevated beyond their expectations, and disabilities are actually continuing to rise. So that's before they report their numbers. That's the inside chatter that they're not seeing improvement. Well, you see, they're already they're already sort of uh, chumming the water for the disability part to be from COVID itself. 
Well, what did I see a publication tell you that said that uh, COVID is the single biggest mass disability event in human history because of long COVID? And I, that is not what I'm experiencing as a physician. I'm seeing plenty of long COVID. I'm seeing long COVID from vaccines too, but it's not the most, you know, they're, they're, again, they seem to be preparing uh, the, the populace for some sort of message about COVID itself. So that will be interesting if that becomes a continued part of the narrative. Ed, we appreciate you being here. When is the book out? Uh, hopefully November 8th. I'm uh, writing, uh, I hope to get it done by Friday, tomorrow, uh, Friday. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing the data with us and thank you for doing this work. I, 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 I think we have to look at it. We have to, you know, it's really incumbent on the medical profession just kind of at least explain what we're seeing and not pretend we're seeing there's, that there's nothing to right. see. There seems to be a signal and uh, it needs to be explained. And if it's the vaccine, we need to contend with that and we need to reduce the risk for people. You know, again, once again, it, it's probably this this equity issue, this age issue that we have to, you know, if you hear Dr. Walensky, she said uh, we had to streamline and, and what did she say? She used the word like uh, simplify our messaging. So we just said everybody over 12 get the vaccine. Right. Everybody over 12. That is an insanity. That that is the opposite right. of how medicine is practiced. That is an insanity right. that is you know on the on the sort of disgusting scale. So, okay, Kelly, thank you as always. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Uh, who is with us next Wednesday? Do you know? It's Doctor Bhattacharya. Think it's Jay Bhattacharya. Bhattacharya. Doctor Bhattacharya no. is coming back. Doctor Bhattacharya. And. Uh, and he, of course, is uh, my poster child for the excesses of this whole experience. And uh, Ed, we'll look forward to your book and talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so Thanks. much for having me on, guys. Pleasure to be here and uh, keep up the good work. We're trying. All right. Thanks, thanks everybody. Again, thank you for being Ed. here. We'll see you. And I'll see you tomorrow, 3 o'clock, for Dr. Mark McDonald and Mental Health Conversations. See you then, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 